Hello there, welcome to another Music Ally Focus with me, Music Ally's editor Joe Sparrow. And in this episode, we're joined by Annabella Coldrick, Chief Executive of the Music Managers Forum. And she's going to talk about the new realities of touring in the post-COVID world. Artists are now facing a completely different touring environment, where a transformed economy means that touring is no longer the sturdy income source it was once considered. And artists are cancelling shows due to the lack of economic viability or as a result of mental health issues from the increased pressures around performing. We ask Annabella what touring in 2023 is going to look like for her members and the artists they work for. Now, this Focus podcast provides an analysis-rich and contextual guide to the music business, just like the rest of Music Ally services. And this podcast is also going to be quick. It'll take about the same amount of time as Daiquiri the dog could hypothetically deposit 450 coins into a presumably very large piggy bank. Daiquiri, who, as ever, we must point out, is a very good dog, dropped 18 coins into a piggy bank in one minute in 2020. Uh, Daiquiri's human, Jennifer, revealed that heavier coins worked best for their record attempt, specifically Canadian loonies. Insert your own punchline here. Now, talking of finding novel ways to make money, making key decisions about touring often falls to the artist manager. So we wanted to talk to someone about the realities of touring in 2023 from the manager's perspective. The Music Managers Forum recently held a roundtable event with its members, and it revealed a lot of concerns and issues around the topic. Annabella Koldrick of the MMF joined me to explain what they discussed and what the future holds. So I'm very happy to be joined by Annabella Koldrick uh, of the Music Managers Forum. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a very important topic to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and a good one to kick off the year. Um, the realities of touring in 2023. Um, before we dig into that, can you introduce yourself a little bit of context and, and explain what you do so we uh, we know where we're coming from yes of course so I run the music managers forum we're a professional organization of music managers we have about 1,300 members now ranging from people starting out at university managing their first band or someone who might be working in a shop but their cousin is amazingly talented and they want to help them navigate the music industry all the way through to People like the managers of the Rolling Stones, Ed Sheeran. On my board, I've got the managers of Gorillaz and Biffy Clyro and Wolf Alice. So a real range. And we try and represent uh, all, the, all the views and concerns of actually a really wide cohort of managers and therefore the concerns that are also facing their clients, who are artists, but also, I should say, producers and songwriters as well. So it's really music managers, not just artist managers. And as part of that, I guess you, you're representing them, but you're also providing uh, uh, support and learning and all those kind of services. Yeah, well. absolutely. So it's education and training. Uh, we do kind of essentials courses, mechanics courses. We do advanced courses with Music Ally. Actually, you guys do our advanced uh, so, digital yes. marketing courses. And um, we have a code of practice as well. So we do all the kind of professional development stuff. My role very much as chief executive is very much on the kind of advocacy and representation. So listening to the concerns of our members and then sort of conveying those to the people who need to hear them, which is why it's great to have this conversation about live and touring now. Touring and gigging has had a complicated few years, to say the least. There was, first of all, there was lockdown, then the post-COVID gig frenzy, where mm. all the gigs seem to happen simultaneously. And then a Recently, we've had a sort of um, stark reality that's connected to that, but is also external to that, which is artists saying, 
they can't afford to tour. It's not financially viable for them to tour certain places. Some say that the stress of touring is causing them burnout and others saying that all along, side that, streaming isn't making up the difference and it's becoming economically complicated because streaming has traditionally been seen as the solution to financial problems and is perhaps no longer that. Um, so there's a lot to dig into here. You're speaking to your members all the time about this. One of the manager's main jobs is sorting out this kind of thing. Um, what do your members, the managers, see as the main challenges for artists that they face around touring in 2023? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting setting the context there. We did a piece of research actually pre-pandemic where we looked at our members' income, which is reflective of their artist's income, and about 80% came from live and touring. That's on average, of course, if you were a DJ manager, a lot of DJs would have 90 to 100% from live and touring. And conversely, some artists would be mainly recording artists and not tour that much anymore. But it was sort of, it was on average. So you're absolutely right. The pandemic was a massive impact to the income of artists. And they just wanted to get back out there and be back on the road. And they've had this this crazy year, which in many ways and for many artists has been very successful in reconnecting with fans. But that kind of coincided with this perfect storm of of cost inflation a lot of people had left the industry so it was really hard to find crew I think understandably in fact I was talking to a guy the other day about an events role and he said I love touring but I've got a family now I don't want to be on the road all the time so people have left the touring sector and we haven't been training up enough new people during the pandemic so the price of crew has gone up so even last year where everyone was out touring it was really tough to find crew and when you did they cost you a lot more your fees were probably still the same because potentially you negotiated them for postponed shows pre-pandemic. So your income wasn't going up, your crew costs were going up, your transport costs were going up. So fuel, as we know, last year just went crazy. And that went crazy for ordinary people, but even more so if you're driving trucks and vans all across Europe. And van hire um, and split van hire went up, partly because there were so many shows happening. So again, a bit of a frenzy but partly because we'd left the EU and we had all these crazy new cabotage rules making all the the truck and van companies having to re-register. So their costs went up, so they passed it on to their clients. And then we'd also, COVID meant the insurance industry had taken this massive hit. And so the insurance industry, while still not insuring for COVID cancellation, just insurance costs in general went up again, so a higher percentage. And most managers know that, you know, You'll never get fired for taking out insurance, but you might get fired for not taking out insurance. <laughs> so you have to pay for insurance, right? So so in general, last year was amazing. I was speaking to promoters the other day who said it was the best year ever. So a lot of promoters did really well. Some artists did really well. A lot of artists managed to tour, but didn't really make as much money because of the cost inflation. And now a lot of artists are kind of looking at touring and going, we can't really afford to, if we're not actually making any money, we're paying musicians, we're paying crew, we're paying all these increased costs, we're either breaking even or losing money, does it make sense to tour? So, that, so that's kind of what I'm hearing from our our members is people want to be on the road, but it's just genuinely difficult to do so. And that's before you talk about how difficult it is for ordinary people to buy lots of tickets when they themselves are sat at home looking at their energy bills going oh my god how am I gonna yeah. pay that it sort of sounds like we've come out of one perfect storm 
into, yeah, into uh, a completely different <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. But let's rewind to that bit where you were saying, like, I mean, 80% of income from touring, perhaps even at the time, that seemed a little bit out of whack with, uh, in terms of balance across a whole um, income mix, right? But now when we look at it, it does seem a little bit precarious, doesn't it? That mm. 80% of the income was coming from touring. And all of a sudden, if you take that away, or if you shake that very hard and it's it's reduced significantly, it does leave a big gap, doesn't it? So obviously some artists are looking at touring and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do less touring. It doesn't make sense. But then there's still a gap, isn't there? So mm. what are artists turning to in the sort of live space or perhaps parallel to it to, to fill that gap? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. The discussion we had, I think some managers were saying to their artists who could afford to actually maybe we need to have some time out and let the 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 market kind of rebalance itself and you know have a bit of a, a break from touring so for those who can afford to they might choose to do that that obviously has a knock-on impact again on the musicians and crew who tour with them that's what some are doing some are trying to think really innovatively one manager told me we said they were trying to play a jenga in vans so just trying to really cut the costs as much as they can you know make pack in as much as possible or cut back on your production values. So kind of doing really strict back tours if you can. Others are kind of looking at, can you get any additional value while you're on tour? So doing a lot more, say, meet and greets or other ways to bring in additional income or looking at more brand deals or kind of complementary content or partnerships you might be able to do to help you manage to continue touring. I think there are some who can find ways around it and who can look at different income sources. And I've just spent two days with uh, 20 of our accelerator managers who are all amazingly young and innovative and whose artists are all, you know, kind of tipping point or, you know, doing really well. And a lot of them are, are looking at kind of are there, are there brand partnerships, are there other income streams, are there other ways other than just being on the road that they can they can earn income? So. I, I think everyone's doing the best they can saying that I still think there'll be some who just even doing all of that still won't be able to afford it. Hence why we've seen some cancelled tours. Um, And, you know, European tours were always the easy thing to do. Europe being on your doorstep. I know it's very boring talking about Brexit, but, you know, even just the additional costs of carnets. I heard some problems again the other day that we thought we got Spain sorted out. You know, we got rid of the need for a work permit, but apparently there are taxation issues now causing problems in Spain that Spanish artists don't face, but British artists are being presented with. So so there's lots of different things and there isn't necessarily an easy solution. I mean, you can say put up ticket prices. That could help because then you could push up artist fees to cover touring costs. And some artists can do. I mean, I know Madonna's just announced a crazy tour. God knows what the prices will be, but I've, I can see people on my social feeds very excited, and I'm sure they'll they'll pay whatever Madonna asks because they'll want to see Madonna. And the really big artists will be able to do that because the demand's so high. It's probably all the emerging to mid level ones who are, you know, they're mm. not super pop stars, but they previously had a living playing festivals and touring touring Europe or internationally who are they're the ones who it's like quite serious for yes um I think with regards to Brexit I think that's a whole a whole separate podcast isn't it about <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, which perhaps we should save for another yeah. time but uh, it's, it's important to remember that that is the, the the backdrop for a lot of British artists at the moment that that Brexit has taken away 
or made a lot harder a significant slice of their income. Yeah. Um, do you think that what this sort of means in hindsight is that for, for good or for bad, there was too much, too many live shows, too much gigging and touring before because it was seen as the solution. Like, okay, 80% of the money. So let's just get on the road and gig and gig and gig and gig. It's fairly ch- cheaper than t- to do than now. So let's just do it. Does that, in hindsight, when we hear about artists burning out and taking time out, and do you think that perhaps this is a bit of a rebalance that f- to a sort of more realistic um, addressing a more sort of realistic need for live shows. It, yes, if you can make it financially, but there is something about capitalising on a on a moment, isn't there? I think it, it's been particularly bad because of the two years out and so the build up post pandemic. I mean, there were there were a lot of festivals pre pandemic, but this was the bumper year of the rescheduled and everyone trying to seize the moment. Um, I think there will always be, certainly for new artists, that kind of tipping point opportunity that you don't want to miss you know when you're like a wet leg touring America where you can say let's build in loads more days off but then you're reaching a lot fewer people in person and you know that might be the year that that tips you to break or 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 means you leave America having not achieved your potential so there there will always be be that but I think our members are very conscious of burnout um a, a year ago actually a year ago now god it, it it's hard to remember isn't it but even january january and february 2022 it, we didn't have a lockdown but we were still seeing shows cancelled left mm. right and center and, and a lot of nervousness about that um and, and we did a report all about digital burnout actually again i think sparked by the music ally conference someone at your conference in new york started talking yes. about it and it sparked this massive email chain around our membership. We got, we must have got over a hundred emails from managers saying this chimes with me. We've been stuck, you know, stuck with our artists for the last two years, receiving continued content requests and not being able to get out on the road and meet people in person. So that was digital burnout. By September, we were all talking about in-person physical burnout, weren't we? And yeah. yeah, in a way, there is a need to have a bit of downtime. I guess it's how do you finance that downtime that's going to be the tough question. What does this mean for fans then at the moment? Obviously, <clears throat> it's a shame for fans who can't get to see uh, yeah. their favourite artists if they're not touring a certain country or they've cancelled tours or, or whatever. Um, but what does it sort of mean in perhaps a sort of medium to long term um, outlook, do you think, if touring artists are sort of reassessing how they're going to actually do their touring yeah i mean i think many many bands will do fewer dates um because you'll you'll have to um with the economics so so those those additional gigs that you'd like to put into the tour where you know it's a bit risky whether or not you'll make any money from it but you're thinking oh it's good to grow the audience i think a lot of those will be cut um one of my my friends in margate runs a local venue he had a bumper summer and then in the autumn he, he books small emerging bands but really quite buzzy ones he's always got his finger on the pulse yeah. he always seems to know who who the late who the next big thing is and um he really struggled to sell tickets in the autumn um and, and, ended and that's up having... because people's people were tightening their belts financially because yeah of the, the, the pressures I, externally exactly and i think you know if you if you put that big arena show and spent over 100 quid you probably so well committed but thinking about do i spend an extra 15 or 20 tonight on top of going to the pub to see my friends well it's a nice to have and I'm a bit worried about my electricity bill and I'm worried about my transport costs and 
I think for the, for those actually where the money is so desperately needed for the small to emerging, where where it's not the the purchase of the year, it's the I'd like to do this rather than I have to. Those ones really suffered. Uh, and I'm pleased to say, actually, he managed to run a crowdfunder. And because it's Margate, Tracy Emin gave him a picture and he managed to sell it. And so he's managed to get the venue back on track. And hopefully this summer, the shows will sell out. And he, like I said, he's a great booker. But I do think there'll be, there will be more cancellations. We've seen American bands cancel quite a bit over here. Some of that's currency, actually, as well as anything else. But it's, it's cost of touring. And for the American bands, it's a currency fluctuation. So we will see fewer American artists i think in the short term just because the british fees haven't been enough we'll see british artists doing fewer dates for the for those who do put on dates some of them where they know there is demand will have to push up prices not because they want to i mean if you listen to emily evis glastonbury's gone up quite significantly and if you listen to what she's saying it's it's, she's saying it's not that she wanted to do that but all all of glastonbury's own cost base has so again for those shows that they can sell there will probably be a necessity to push up prices. Even for those artists who are really conscious about affordability, they will still need to push up the prices. And that's a complicated thing in in itself, isn't it? Because over the last sort of 20 years, the the average price of a ticket has for, let's say for whether it's a small emerging artist or a big name artist, has has outstripped inflation by quite a lot. And that, that has gone up. And everyone's been happy to bear the brunt of that because they really love going to live shows and it's been a really good thing to do um but that now is going to bite isn't it so just at the time where it would be great to put on cheaper shows it's perhaps not possible to do it and 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 like you say do you think that there's a sort of divergence here where we're seeing a live industry for the superstars people saying well you know 150 it's that weird sort of mental trick isn't it saying well 150 pounds yeah i'll pay that because it's a really one-off experience to go yeah. and see superstar artist xyz but <clears throat> 20 euros 20 pounds to see this person i'll put it on the back burner do, do, do you think that we, we're seeing a sort of divergence like that well well that's what that's what all the data seems to be showing uh so far i think and dubs have sold out blur blur sold, sold out very quickly didn't they maybe the first and second when belize certainly the first date went incredibly quickly Taylor Swift you know the really big superstars are still selling out um I mean I I always hope no one ever wants to be doom and gloom and you know we want not just grassroots but mid-level music venues to survive we really do and it's but again you know artists have had a really tough couple of years they then had this amazing year of touring which was so harsh some of them needed a break but you need you need if that's such a big portion of your income you can look at alternative revenue streams, but everyone's looking at alternative revenue streams, aren't they? Everyone at one point was like, it's going to be NFTs. And now they're all like, oh God, maybe not yet. Maybe it'll be NFTs in five or 10 years time or digital collectibles. But in the, in the short term, you can look at alternative revenue streams, but it's unlikely they're going to fill up that 80% of your income that came from live. Um, as I say, I think there'll be quite a lot when you're saying what's the fan experience going to be like. I think our, our expectations of production went up as well quite a lot. I mean, I remember when I first started gigging, you know, the the, the band might turn up with a, a sheet as your backdrop with your logo on, right, that they stick up at the back of the stage. And then, you know, in recent years, even relatively small bands would turn up with LED screens and amazing lights and, you know, which they take on tour with them. Um, 
partly because the costs of those things have gone down, but I, there will be something more about stripping back production, hiring in more local production as well, which is actually quite interesting and might have more of a, if the industry could get its act together, it also might be environment, you know, we talk about sustainability in touring, it actually might be quite good because I know some artists are trying to look at, can you can you tour by train? And actually it's really hard at the moment because what's available in each venue, the the kit is so different venue to venue and so you're having to hire a different bat line in. Whereas if you had on the court, on the round table we did with the, the managers and the agents, they were saying, actually, if you had more standardised back line and you were confident in the quality, there might be ways to to look at how you, um, yeah, how you, you tour and achieve. And, and that, that would be good from a from an environmental perspective yeah. and from a, a local economy uh, perspective as well. Indeed. It could be interesting. And again, that's, that's sort of more about infrastructure than anything else and of course that is something about touring around Europe as well which you know yeah. with taking taking trucks and vans off the road if there was a, if there was a that kind of infrastructure you could confidently travel somewhere and perform using equipment that you were comfortable with and it would make it would really help out in lots of different ways wouldn't it mm, you mentioned there the round table that you had with your members that was i think just before christmas um on this topic um what were the main takeaways about on the topic of touring and, and live shows when you had that round table yeah it was interesting some of the stuff we've already covered so there was, there, it was managers and agents talking together about shared experiences and and yeah from quite we had managers of some really quite large international artists there as well as and agents as well as some of the, the mid to, to emerging level um some of it was about sharing information and thinking about, you know, are there ways we can work differently? So there's a bit of discussion around that. As I say, there's a discussion about issues around things like insurance. We ended up doing follow-up roundtables on insurance because insurance costs are outrageous and more more and more elements are excluded that, you know, you're not aware of. So even when things do go wrong and you try and claim, it's been really tough. We were trying to look at what solutions can be. So it wasn't just, a, oh, my God, isn't it really? <laughs> isn't it really tough out there um and you know obviously live has called for a reduction in VAT on tickets that's probably a long game particularly with the current government um who are not inclined I don't think to give tax breaks at the moment to anyone but it but it is interesting um one of the agents said if you look at many other European countries most of them have some kind of cultural reduction on ticket prices I think across Europe Whereas in the UK, um, it's the full uh, 20% VAT. So looking at are there incentives that could be put in, even if it's a bit of a long game, that that was a, uh, yeah, that was a big thing to pick up on. And, and I think we need, not just as the MMF, but with the live group that we're part of, need to do a lot more research and evidence building on how could you look at a longer term kind of stimulus to support yeah, which would, you know, support the whole value chain. We always talk about value chain, but everyone from artist to manager, agent, promoter, crew, musician, you know, if you put if you put money into touring, if you're able to put money, it benefits an awful lot of people and we need to be able to quantify that better, I think, and explain that better to government. In some countries, I think in Spain, for instance, there's been a new scheme where under-18s, are given, I think, 200 euros. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, to spend yeah. on art gallery exhibitions, you can pay for tickets with it. 
uh, or you can go do uh, live shows. And I'm sure the 17-year-old me would have been extremely <laughs> pleased yeah. uh, to get 200 quid to spend on gigs. And that has all sorts of associated impacts, of course, because it, it's free money for tickets, but then you're going to you're paying for transport, you're paying for yep. the bar and all those kind of associated things. Do you think that something like that might be uh, something that UK government could look at in terms of helping out venues? I, and yeah, that's interesting. I think that kind of thing is amazing. Um, remember, there was Eat Out to Help Out. There was sort of a similar type of yeah. stimulus. I think the government at the moment is running scared of, um, partly because of the <laughs> disastrous financial crash brought on by Liz Truss when she <laughs> said she was going to, basically just cut all taxes uh for the rich anyway um i think for the in the short term they're unlikely to do anything like that saying that um there was a, a parliamentary uh report came out uh last week yeah last week um which was all actually about the economics of, of streaming but the mps in the, the follow-up session ended up asking lots of questions about live and touring and in their uh, report that they published last week, they said, actually, what the UK government needs is a proper national music strategy. And we haven't got one. We don't even have an export office. I mean, when all the, all, when Brexit finally kicked in and all the, all the things we've been saying would go wrong did go wrong, um, I spoke to several managers in other European countries and they said, well, how's your export office helping with, with those things. And I was like, we don't have an export office. We've got a couple of people in DIT who are very nice, but we don't have a focused resource. When you look at France and their National Music Council, and then, you know, even the Netherlands, mo- most actually, most other Europe, I mean, the French is the, the best funded, most other European countries have a lot more investment in emerging talent. We've got the MEGS fund that I think is like, is it half a million quid? Um, it's not it's not very much across 10 artists or so. I, I think the Netherlands was well over a million pounds and their population is a third of the population of the UK. Never mind when you look at what Canada invests in emerging talent, not just within Canada, but getting that talent to export and grow markets elsewhere. So, you know, we talk about this kind of perfect storm and it is a perfect storm. But we do need to think a bit long, more longer term. And um, and the British government at the moment is not in the space to to look at this kind of sport. Maybe the next British government, if we have a general election in two years' time, will we'll be more amenable. Do you think that, that that has not historically happened in the UK, at least recently, because of a sort of um, taking for granted that yeah. there is a, a thriving internal live and emerging artist scene and it sort of Britain is particularly good at or has been until recently be good being good at creating internationally successful artists yeah is it, is it a bit I, of complacency you're spot on it's absolutely complacency and, and what's interesting actually looking at some of the statistics coming out of the recorded music industry is, is streaming um I mean it depends on what deal the artist has with their label but what's interesting about streaming is um actually in a way more local artist scenes growing up but that also impacting the ability of say British or American talent to necessarily dominate the world as easily as they did in the past so there's real competition from um, emerging scenes all across I mean certainly Latin America incredibly strong and vibrant music scene and Korea and across Europe, those scenes becoming stronger, which is brilliant for those countries and for that music 
And I would never say that music shouldn't grow and find more global audiences as well. Uh, but I, I, often it is actually supported. I mean, Canada, God, look at Canada's success rate with massive global artists. They've had that support as well. Whereas our government, I think, has just gone, oh, look, you know, we, we've always done well. We've had McCartney, the Rolling Stones, and we've got Dua Lipa and Adele and Ed Sheeran. What else do we need? But the stuff we're looking at now means I don't think we can be complacent. It's like, where are, where are the next level of those artists? You look at how many gigs Ed Sheeran played to get to where he is. I mean, he worked bloody hard. Um, it, it's certainly making it harder for those kind of artists to make their way up the tree. If Dua Lipa is the most recent example of a, an international artist who's emerged from the UK, I think it might be a good question to say, okay, who's next? You know, because it, it's she's been around for a while, hasn't she? Yeah. Um, let's 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 try and end on a. Uh, I mean, that hasn't all been doom and gloom, but it's it, but certainly there is a, there is a challenge around touring for artists. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. Looking ahead, then it's a bit difficult to say, okay, how is it going to work in the future? Because I think that it's clear that the the whole mix of around um, economic income around I'm doing air quotes for the benefit <laughs> of people listening uh, um, uh, touring and performance you know this this money's going to come from a myriad of places around that as well but w- what does it look like perhaps in a more immediate sense then how, you know in term, how do you think it's going to happen in the short to medium term around touring how, how do I think yeah I mean like I said I think next year will be tough I think there will be innovations I think what, what I love about dealing with my membership and their, certainly they love about dealing with their clients is how innovative they can be and how, you know, one of our members set up a, a live streaming company in the middle of the pandemic. They're like, what are we going to do? Our artists can't tour. Let's set up a live streaming company. A load of the people I met through the Accelerator were doing crazy things with NFTs. So there will be innovation. There will be, people will generate other revenue streams. We're also very much supporting which I forgot to mention, the FAC's 100% Venues campaign to try and there are many, many venues who don't charge commission on merch fees, which is amazing. We want to celebrate those venues and we'd like to encourage those venues who do charge commission on merch um, to to not do so. I mean, artists can be really innovative with their merch offerings as well and that can bring in a lot of money and for some artists that can make the difference between touring or not. So I kind of think we need the industry to pull together and rather than saying oh it's dreadful all these artists are having to cancel or not doing their tours it's saying well how can we as a sector make touring possible across you know across because recorded benefits publishing benefits um the whole fan building audience benefits certainly agents and promoters and venues all benefit and fans benefit from seeing artists live and it doesn't need to be as mad as it was last year because last year was the pent-up uh, post-pandemic but it does feel that there's an opportunity and I hope I hope you know this time next year we'll say god it was nowhere near as bad as we thought because people pulled together they made touring possible and they helped artists yeah innovate change bring in other revenue streams throughout the year so yeah it's only January let's try and be <laughs> try and be positive <laughs> Plenty of year in front of us, but I mean, it does. It does sometimes require you to hit a kind of very, very difficult period where you think, well, okay, we, we're going to be forced now to yeah. uh, reassemble how this all works, and we'll find a better way forward. And let's hope that is the case. I will put links uh, below the podcast to obviously to the MMF, uh, but also to that uh, venues campaign you just mentioned, the one hundred percent venues campaign as well, because that is that is an interesting uh, thing that's going on at the moment. Um, and uh, one final question then. 
uh, well, two final questions. If, if people want to get in touch with you, if people are out there and they're listening and they're managers and they want to join the MMF or they want to access your resources, what's what's the best way of doing that? Website, www.themmf.net. It's 100 quid a year if you're over 30, 50 quid a year if you're under 30. Uh, I was speaking to someone the other day, so it's the best value membership in the music industry and get access to uh, discounted music ally training as well as all our other training but also we do so much so i've got a funding workshop going on this week about in fact prs foundation thankfully has been saved this week so we've got prs foundation yes. other funders coming and talking about how they will be investing in emerging uh talent so we'd love more people to join us if they're not already part of our community it's a really supportive and lovely group of managers Great. Okay, well, that's, that's the hard sell, folks. Uh, the link is below the podcast. And then one final question, uh, Annabella. This is something I, uh, I've forgotten to throw in the mix recently, but have been throwing in um, just to get a bit of uh, extra musical context yeah. on our guests. Uh, if you could only, if you, or think of all the music that you enjoy, if, you, if everything had to be erased except for one piece of music, it could be an album if you want to cheat a bit here, or one song, what would it be? Uh, it would be something by Super Furry Animals, maybe Northern Lights. Oh. That's one of my favourite songs of all time. That is a fantastic song. And then you're the first person to mention the Super Furries. So, oh, uh, good. good. Extra points for me. <laughs> Extra bonus points. Good place to leave it. I will put a link to that song below the podcast as well. All right. Annabella Coldrick of the MMF, thank you very much. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Joe. So there we are. If you found that useful, please share this podcast on with someone else who you think might get something out of it. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, please do. It's joe at musically.com. That's J-O-E at musically.com. And finally, Music Ally has a free exclamation mark weekly email, The Knowledge, which rounds up a soupçon of the best analysis, news, marketing insight and skills from Music Ally's wide range of services. So sign up and impress your boss. Links are in the description as always. So that's it uh, from me, Joe Sparrow. Until next time, farewell. <laughs>